Welcome to the Coachable Podcast. In this episode, I'm really excited for you to hear from today's guest, Tony Gentlecourt. Tony was a founding member of the top 10 gym in the United States, Cresty Sports Performance, and now runs his own personal training studio outside Boston. I loved hearing Tony explain his current schedule as well as what he's working on in the future. So grab a cup of coffee or an energy drink and enjoy. Um, all right, folks, welcome to Coachable. I am here with the one the only Tony Genocore, and most likely he's drinking an energy drink of some size. Yeah, some uh, type. You know, I, I don't want to be known as an energy drink guy because I don't think I am, but it, it's probably <laughs> it's probably pretty grotesque the amount of energy drinks I drink. So we're hype. talking like one and a half a day, which is not – some people are drinking – I mean, I know colleagues of mine who drink like three or four, so I guess <laughs> I, I shouldn't – I'm not too bad. But, yes, there, I do have one in hand. That is That is correct. All right. And it's <laughs> and it's Spike or is it Monster? Like, no, what, you I have a subscription? Um, I still drink Spike. That's one of my that's one of my favorites. But I I I become a big fan of Rain, um, okay, which is R E I G N, mm-hmm. and um, I'm drinking one right now called White Gummy Bear, and it is <laughs> it tastes like a white gummy bear. My my little guy Just, and I are, are very are big fans of gummy bears, so this this flavor is 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 my spirit animal. I love it. <laughs> ah, you're stealing some questions from the from the fast twitch section at the end of the oh we'll, shoot we'll okay okay well we can do it. yeah well i'll wait i'll keep yeah. my well, my rant we'll, we'll get to that end. um <laughs> so i i feel like everybody knows you but for those who don't it as as uh briefly of your hero's journey as you can can you talk about where you started and i think it was maybe it was Cortland. And then how you uh, kind of, yeah, that, uh, my, I'm from a very, very tiny, teeny, tiny town in central New York called Grant, New York, which is probably 10 minutes from Cortland, okay. which for those geographically trying to figure this out, it's probably Cortland's roughly 30 minutes or so south of Syracuse, New Got York. It. So the Finger Lakes region, that's where <laughs> I grew up. That's where I played sports of all kinds growing up. That's where I got my first weight set. Uh, when I was 13, so I, I don't know. I don't even want to do the math of when that was. So probably. Wait, what was your first weight set though? Was it Nautilus? Uh, was it an adjustable? No, it was. Um, I don't remember the brand, but it was just like the you know those basic like um, cement weights covered in plastic. With yeah. A bench came yep. with a poster. I I basically just followed the poster. I was like, hey, there's a dude on there. It looks pretty big. I'm gonna do. I'm just gonna emulate <laughs> those exercises as best I can. But then I do have a very vivid memory of doing many, 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 many bicep arm curls listening to Wu-Tang Clan and Stone Temple Pilots in my bedroom. <laughs> what a combination. <laughs> and, I, so, and I meant the bicep curls, of course. Yes. Um, huh, so yeah, just so nice. So yeah, okay, my, my journey. <laughs> uh, so I entered the industry, I, I graduated from SUNY Cortland in 2002. And then I, my first job in this industry was in corporate fitness. So I worked in a gym uh, just outside Syracuse at a, a company called Welch Allen. And they hired the company I worked for, which is a, a subsidiary of Johnson & Johnson, to basically run their, their gyms for their employees. So what was nice about this particular company, it was a healthcare company, they had some pretty well-equipped gyms that their, their employees could come in to use before work, during their lunch break, after work. Um, and I, I had to do my uh, internship at one of their, their gyms in the summer of 2002. And thankfully, at the end of that, they they had a position opening that they, they, they hired me right out of my internship. Uh, <laughs> and I was there for three years. And I, uh, with that job, I worked as a commercial gym trainer, at like a local Bally total fitness. I don't, I don't think Bally exists anymore, 
But just think about your <laughs> normal vanilla commercial gym. Uh, I was yep. working as a personal trainer there. During that time, I I met with uh, I met up with Eric Cressy online on a mm-hmm. few forums, so T Nation forums, Rugged Mag, uh, which is a, the, a defunct website. It hasn't existed for well over two decades now. I remember. But that. Um, yep. yeah, great website. I, I connected with. I mean, it's kind of it's quite amazing the amount of people I connected on. That's me, Eric, John Romanello. Um, <laughs> There is like Mike Robertson. I mean, there's a lot of us that are, you All know, stars. kind yeah. of like the people now that we, we met on this random website. Um, you know, and I moved, I moved to Connecticut uh, with Eric because uh, we both got a job at a gym in, in Connecticut in 2005, I think. Yeah, I think I'm doing my mm-hmm. math correct. And we were both there for a year. Then we both moved to Boston. In 2007, we opened up Cressy Sports Performance with Pete Dupuis. And where and I, I was there for eight years, and and within that time, I was kind of building my own little personal brand under the umbrella of Cressy Sports Performance, writing mm-hmm. my starting my own blog, my own website, and that's when I started writing for Teen Nation a little bit more frequently in men's health. Um, started doing a little bit more traveling, with doing being invited to speak at work at conferences and doing workshops with Dean Somerset, um, and then I eventually left there in 2015. And currently just run my own small training studio here in Brookline, which is part of Boston and uh, just training regular people to be deadlifting terminators. That's, that's been, that, that's basically my life now. <laughs> and, and I want to go back to, to two, it seems pivotal moments. Um, one, you know, in um, the civil war for uh, the Marvel when Captain America and then Iron Man are kind of going back and forth and fighting on, you know, different ways to run things. Was was that how Cressy Sports Performance went from a three-person ownership uh, to a two-person ownership where like you guys were like, you know, he had different ways of running things or was it because you wanted Wu-Tang and Eric wanted country <laughs> and, and Pete wanted wanted edm like that that no well pete was not the edm guy at all (laughs) (laughs) let's be clear like i was the edm guy 90s hip-hop guy eric was lincoln park pete (laughs) pete was pete was much more less snobby with his music he kind of likes everything um Mm -hmm. you know this question i still get because when i left crisis sports performance i think people assumed that there was some kind of rift between Mm -hmm myself, Eric and Pete, and there, there was not at all. It was, you know, that the year I left Cressy sports performance was also the year that I got married and my wife and I were kind of like figuring out, okay, what do we want our respective careers to do? What do we want our life to be? You know, and I just kind of put pen to paper and was doing the math of everything. And, and, you know, and, and I've probably said this a few times on several other, other podcasts, and I know Pete would agree, Eric would agree. I more or less reached my, I capped my earning potential as far as what the type of money I was making at Cressy Sports Performance. The caveat there, though, is that the, the only benefit of training there wasn't just monetary. Like, I, w- I would argue that one of the more important components of being a coach there was just being around some spectacular coaches and, mm-hmm. and the type of clientele that would come in. You know, certainly there was a prestige factor with being affiliated with that type of facility. But, you know, the year I got married and, you know, we're trying, my wife and I are trying to figure out, okay, what, what do we want to do with our, with our collective careers? And I just, it, it came to the point where I was like, you know, I wonder what would happen if I kind of went off on my own and did my own thing. 
which is quite ironic because I think the year or two prior to that, I wrote several blog posts on why I never wanted to be a gym owner. <laughs> like how I thought <laughs> I it was I like the, the dumbest thing you could possibly imagine. Not well, for mm-hmm. not literally, but I was like, listen, the pinnacle <laughs> in this industry is not being a gym owner. Like there are many mm-hmm. successful people in this industry who aren't gym owners and who aren't well-known names running for top tier magazines and <clears> publications. <throat> like you can be very successful in many different ways in this industry. Um, but there was a situation came where, um, John Goodman of the personal training development center was staying in town with me and my wife, you know, and he and I, we, we got talking one night and he, he was asking like, Hey, what are you, you're going to stay at Krusty Ford's performance forever. And I was like, well, as, as it happens, I'm kind of thinking about stepping away a little bit and kind of dipping my toes and what it would be like to do stuff on my own. And he, and it just so happened the following day after he left, there was a woman who, lived in Brookline, who was who owned a small training studio was looking for another coach to sublease the space to. Um, <laughs> so I went and it was literally a mile from my apartment. And it seemed to be a good fit. And the rest is history. Like I, I basically left Cressy sports performance, uh, bought a squat rack or a power rack and a bunch of barbells and kettlebells and plates and brought them to this, this space and for six months was subleasing from this woman. And then she wasn't renewing the lease and I took it over. Um, and now I, I probably coach, I'm coaching 20, 25 hours a week. And I mm-hmm. have three other coaches that sublease the space when I'm not using it. Um, you know, the, the, the concept here is we're going to, we're going to hopefully expand the footprint this year, but um, you know, but yes, to answer your question, there was no rift. It was just, it was just, well, it was time to turn the page in my career. And that's really, that's really what it came down to. And now would be a time for my full disclosure to say that I am a reporter for TMZ. And what it seems like is John Goodman was the reason for the breaking up of, of yes. Cressy Sports Performance, not Keith, not Keith Urban <laughs> or Avicii. Um, so, but you know, what's, you know what's interesting about that too, though, is the way that you, Pete, and, I, and I'm pretty close with Pete. You know, I've been to a couple seminars mm-hmm. with him. And I think actually one of the first uh, fitness summits that we went to, I remember speaking to this gentleman in the back and he was speaking about owning a business and asking me about what I do. And we kind of went back and forth about business ownership. And then, and then it was Pete. And then he stepped up and was presenting and I was like, Oh, I'm oh, such wow. an idiot. Like, <laughs> but, but you know, what's remarkable about that too, is that you all have remained re- retained a certain level of professionalism. Sure. Um, and, you know, um, I think uh, if I remember this correctly too, in 2020, you were working out at the Jupiter location um, when, you know, kind of things went crazy for a little bit. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, so it's not like you wouldn't open your doors for each other anymore. And like, you guys don't speak to each other. So I think there's something to be said for both. Yeah. Of, there was uh, no, there was no riff animosity, nothing. It was literally time to t- Tony wants to turn the page. It's been a mm-hmm. great, you know, I'm, I was, you know, obviously I was very thankful for my relationship with, with those two gentlemen and they, they're both in my wedding. I was in their weddings. You know, so we all mm-hmm. have our own lives and, and families and careers now. Like we don't, keep in touch nearly as much as we did when we were, when we were under the same roof every day. But, you know, we certainly send each other texts throughout the year to say, Hey, happy birthday or happy holidays, or Hey, just checking in. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, that just, just to take away the nefariousness that, that incident in Jupiter in 2020, (laughs) it wasn't like there was a knife fight or anything, or like we finally had, like had like a, this battle Royale fist fight. Um, Mm -hmm. I ruptured my Achilles when uh, my wife, my wife and I, (laughs) <laughs> my my wife is from Florida. So during the pandemic, we, uh, we were like, screw this. We're driving down and we're going to stay with grandma. 
Um, and like once a week, we would drive to Jupiter to get a proper workout in. And then one mm -hmm. of the weeks that we went, I was warming up to deadlift. I was doing some sprints and I ruptured my Achilles. <laughs> uh, so then I had to fly back up to Boston and blah, blah, blah. That rest of the, so yeah, the, it was, yeah, we definitely still see each other once, twice a year. I, I saw Eric last this past summer when the Yankees were in town playing the Red Sox. I, yeah. I treated my nephew to um, uh, box seats uh, at Red Sox Yankees game. He's a Yankees fan. And we got to, you know, meet up with Eric and we're, you know, I'm, I'm friends with Matt Blake, who's the pitching coach of the Yankees. So we got to hang out with him on the field and like talk shop. And, you know, so I, I see those guys at least once or twice a year. Amazing. And, you know, the other, I think, key point that might be missed about this uh, and, and how you got started is that you, Pete and, and uh, Eric worked together for eight years. That's mm -hmm. not, that's, that's, that's almost an eternity from, the, from a partnership <laughs> standpoint, right? If you consider that, you know, Equinox, which is one of the largest employers of personal trainers in the country has a turnover rate between 40 and 50% within six months. And here you guys are as partners working together on this project for eight years. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that speaks a lot to the, um, the level of uh, dedication that you guys had to your craft and the, the community that you built. Um, uh, but going forward and speaking about your community now, how do you curate your community and how do you run your current gym with those three other coaches right now? So I, I very much took a lot of the, um, feel and, uh, and, uh, and environment and relatedness from CSP and kind of took it from, cause you got to remember what was at CSP predominantly we're training athletes. So regular people definitely train there. Uh, you know, and certainly there's a variety of sports that, that train out of there, but obviously they're known for baseball. And mm. so I went from a facility that was 90% athletes, 10% gen pop to now I train 90%, 95% gen pop and five to 10% athletes. And that was by choice. Like I really prefer to train the general population clientele. I just mm -hmm. get more fulfillment out of it. I find there's more variety. Um, I, I just enjoy it. I like people, I like making people badasses. <laughs> and, but I took the general business model of uh, semi-private training. So I'm, I'm coaching anywhere from two to four people at the same time. Love it. They're working off their own programs, however. And I'm, my head's basically on a swivel. I'm doing like coaching triage. So if I, if someone's deadlifting and I, I need to watch their set and fix something, I'll do that. And I, I, I turn over and someone I'll, I'll fix that. And so I'm just addressing stuff as they arise. Uh, I, however, I feel like I've coached my clients well enough where I could, I, th there are times I feel like I'm, I'm basically just standing there and listening to like tribe call quests while people train <laughs> and getting paid to do it. So, yep. um, yeah, I, I've coached, I, 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 it, there's a lot of, um, initially there's a lot of like heavy coaching, like making sure people do, are sure. squatting correctly. And after a while they, they, they become very confident and which is a proud moment for me where. You know, they, mm -hmm. they, I, I, to me, I feel like if they, if I get someone to that point and they feel like they don't need me anymore, I've done my job well. Um, but I certainly, you know, in terms of the community, like, obviously I think I'm the glue. Like I, I'm, I'm a bona fide introvert. Like I, I talk about being introverted. I, you know, I remember I, I wrote an, one of my, actually one of my more popular blog posts I've ever written was I wrote a two part blog post back when I was at Cressy Sports Performance about confessions of an introverted strength coach 
Uh, <laughs> and a lot of people responded to that because they were number one, they were shocked that, that I admitted that I was a, an introvert, but two, like that it re- that it, it spoke to them and it resonated with them because you know being an introvert doesn't mean you're socially awkward or you're a recluse. It just means like how you recharge. Like me, I, I need to kind of like be away from the energy <laughs> and like I need some downtime with some chill time to kind of recharge. And, um, you know, when I'm when I'm at my space, like I, I kind of have to be the the it person and like the on person. And, and mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I'm not a rah-rah coach by any stretch, but I can turn it on when I have to. And part I mean, most of what I'm doing when I'm coaching is certainly I'm, I'm addressing people's programming. I'm, I'm, I'm queuing them up on their squats and recommending the loads to put on or, okay, next set, let's do this. But a lot of what I do as a coach too, is just kind of like talking to someone as a human, like, Hey, what'd you do for Christmas? How are your kids? Oh, did you check out the new knives out movie? Like that's, that was great. It was so good. And, you know, so that, that is community. And that's, you know, talking about the book. I mean, there's some clients I'm, we're, we're always talking about, Hey, what, what's the current book you're reading? Is it any good? Okay. I'm going to walk down to the bookstore and get that. Um, mm-hmm. that to me is, is very much as part of community as, you know, everyone loves deadlifting. So, um, I think that makes sense. I, I, I think that answers your question. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Well, there's, there's a lot to unpack there too, of, um, you had a business model to choose. You could have done one-on-one, right. But you right, chose the true. semi-private yep. because of this, because of the semi-private nature of being able to accomplish more in a fixed time frame, yep. which is my preference then, you know, working with uh, four people an hour versus four people in the morning uh, is, is much more gratifying. And if we got in it for the same reason, which is usually to impact slash change lives slash in- introduce people to country music like me. Um, <laughs> uh, but, but, but in seriousness, the, the, right, the, the semi-private is more of a community than a one-on-one, yeah. right? And so, I, I would say too, as an introvert, I find the semi-private model helps me because, I mean, this rarely ever happens. I In 20 plus years of being a strength coach and personal trainer, I can count on one hand the number of clients that were absolute like energy vampires that like I just hated training them. It doesn't yep. happen often at all. But I, I do find that in the semi-private model, it is less taxing. I mean, certainly like I'm, I'm responsible for three to four people at the same time, but they're also communicating and talking amongst themselves and like feeding off their energy too. So I, I, a lot of times I don't have to be like the, the it guy or the rah, rah guy, which helps me. And I find that I'm more, I'm more engaged as a coach when I, when I'm around two, three, four people at the same time, as opposed to one. Um, Cause then, you know, it's just some people are are quiet train. I mean, I have some clients that like when they train, they don't talk, at all and they want <laughs> right. they, they want the feedback from me but then they're just kind of like they do they, they're just there to do the work and they leave which is completely fine um so i yeah the semi-private model uh helps me be an engaged coach but certainly um you know from a you know return on investment and return on my time certainly you know when i like for example i went in last last saturday on christmas eve i did I said, okay, I'm going to work like half a day. I'm going to work eight to 12, eight in the morning. I'll do 12. I'll, I'll go 12. And I still saw like 10, 12 clients in four hours mm-hmm. as opposed to so just four clients in four hours. I mean, just do the math monetarily. It just makes yep. a lot of sense. However, that said, it's not for everyone. And there are many coaches out there still that like that predominantly do one-on-one. I know one of the coaches that subleases for me currently, he only does one-on-one. 
and that's his prerogative. You know, he might, he might charge more per hour than I do. And that's that, I mean, I don't, that's, that's kind of like the, 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 the nice thing about subleasing is like, they're, they're not employees of mine. Like I don't control Mm -hmm. them and they, they can set their own rates, their own hours. They're their own boss. And it's great. Um, so, but for me personally, it's semi-private. I've, you know, we, we, we were probably one of the first private training facilities outside of Allen Cosgrove that instituted the semi-private model to, with a lot of success. And I just like, you know, I just rolled with it when I went off on my own. That's, that's interesting. So, um, and, and I want to go down one little quote you said about the, you know, the, the other people may make more money than you per hour. But if I'm, if it's one on one, if it's one on one, right. Yeah. If it's one on one. Right. But if, but if I'm hearing you correctly, and this is my experience, right. I'm, I, I like this quote for myself where I am the cheapest coach in my own gym, but I make more money yeah. than just about any, and this is per hour, but also, you know, on a weekly basis and a monthly basis, I make more money on than any of my coaches because the semi-private model says you agreed to two times a week. I'm going to hold you to two times a week. And if I can't be there, somebody else will be there. They're mm-hmm. going to work on your program. But that was our agreement. And then that allows for no packages, no real, you know, oh, can you freeze my membership? No, it's just a, a, a lower um, barrier of, or excuse me, a lower uh, fruit to less management, right? And I'm, I'm an introvert as well. I usually take a nap. It's the first thing I do after my son. <laughs> yeah, shift. exactly. I'm like, I'm like, phone off, nap. Like I'm on this whole like, um, non-sleep deep rest thing from Huberman um, as he's enjoying his time in the sun. Um, so am I, uh, um, but, but yeah, and, and the semi-private um, is a choice. And like you said, for, for a lot of folks, um, it, it, it is a learning curve. Um, when did oh, you make, make the transition again? So, I mean, when I, when we opened up Cressy Sports Performance, so I, I mean, I was working as a personal trainer in several gyms, which was always one-on-one. And mm-hmm. then immediately when, when Eric and I and Pete transitioned to opening up Cressy Sports Performance, I mean, during that time, you know, Alan was a, was a massive mentor to Eric and Pete. Um, right. and, 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 by, and by proximity, my, myself as well. I mean, I wasn't mm-hmm. the one that was emailing and calling Alan about business advice. Eric was. But he highly encouraged us to adopt or lean into semi-private for all the reasons you and I are discussing. Mm-hmm. And you know, once and it, yeah, you're right. It was a learning curve. I mean, even when I do, I would say at least once a month, maybe, maybe once every two months, like I have a, a coach contact me, ask me for an hour of consulting just to discuss like, Hey, how can I tell me more about semi-private, how, how to transition to it? You know, I've always done one-on-one, you know, how would I do pricing structures? What about programming? I mean, there's, there's a lot of layers and, and, and peeling back the onion there, but you know, once, once you get the hang of it, it's great. I mean, I, again, for me personally, it, it, it matches my personality. Again, it keeps me engaged and it, and it fulfills me because I feel like I'm getting my time is my time is worth more. So like mm-hmm. I, you know, on an hour by hour basis, like I, I, there's probably days where I make more in three hours than a lot of coaches make in a week. And mm-hmm. you exactly. know, so I mean, and a lot of that's regional. Like, I mean, I live in Boston. It's an expensive city. Like, I would not be mm-hmm. able to charge the rates that I charge if I lived in, you know, middle of nowhere, Portland. Oklahoma. So, <laughs> um, I mean, maybe. I don't know. But I doubt it. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it's, it, it, there, there's, it's not for everyone. But I do think the industry has adopted it um, 
you know, quite a bit. Uh, you know, I, I find more Agreed. and more, more and more people, more studios, facilities are implementing semi-private because they understand, you know, from a, from an hour by hour standpoint, like they they can fill they can they can um, they fill their hours and get more people in the doors. Yeah, no, I I would agree with that. And you you mentioned the the programming side of things. Everyone gets their own program, and then you have your head on a swivel. What other character traits do you think um, you bring to the table while you're coaching? Besides that, I think the community, you understand that, you know, you're going to throw a softball question up of, Hey, what book are you guys reading and let the group run with it. But what other, what other traits do you think that you have that are perfectly fit for the semi-private model? Well, I, I mean, don't, when it comes to programming, as an example, since we're on that topic, like I've written (laughs) thousands of programs and, Mm -hmm. You know, and, and it's at the point now where if I if I'm starting to work with somebody for the first time, once I do their initial assessment, I automatically start thinking like who they kind of match with somebody I've, I've previously trained or previously wrote a program for. I go mm-hmm. back and find one of those programs and I tweak it for that individual. And I think what a lot of people appreciate with my coaching style is like don't everyone that I work with is, is probably going to squat. They're probably going to be deadlifting. They're going to be doing pull ups. They're going to be swinging kettlebells. You know, and on the topic of squats and deadlifts, it isn't so much that everyone's doing the exact same squat and deadlift. Like I, I individualize the movement based on their ability level, their injury history, their anatomy, mm-hmm. to figure out what's going to be the best setup for them. And I think people appreciate that attention to detail and what, and, and what I do. Because I can't tell you how many times I have people coming in and just saying, you know, deadlifts have always hurt my lower back because I've always deadlifted with a straight bar from the ground. Mm-hmm. And I've always done conventional style deadlifts. And sometimes they, they just need permission to say, hey, you don't have to do a straight bar deadlift. Like we can go trap bar, we can do a modified sumo stance, you know, to get your just to give your torso in a better angle to make it less stress on your back. And like, oh, really? I'm like, yeah, really. <laughs> like, you're, you're, yeah. who cares? Like, it doesn't matter. And, you know, so sometimes just giving them that permission, I think they appreciate that. And then I'm not like some hard O strength coach that's like gonna annihilate them in session to session. I always tell my clients, like, listen, if you leave a session with me feeling like you could do more, that is a good thing. Like I mm-hmm. want that. Cause that means you're yep. probably going to recover from that session. And then you're probably going to be able to come back tomorrow or the day after that and get after it again, somewhat hard. Like mm-hmm. I, my, my MO as your coach is not to make it so you can't feel your, your, the left side of your face when you leave a session. Like I want, <laughs> I want you to come back and, and like yeah. train consistently. I'm always, I'm always, like using that word consistency, consistency, like you just gotta, you know, there's a, there's a term that I, I, I got from another coach, Charlie Reed. He, he talks about this three by 52. Like my job mm-hmm. as the coach. And when I start working with somebody, I, I, I initiate this mantra with them right out of the gate. Like, listen, you know, you don't need to be in the gym five days a week for two hours a day doing like God knows what in, in the weight room. If you show up three days a week, 52 weeks out of the year, like some good things are going to happen. And yeah. if, if I get you to that point, then we, you're, we're, you're going to change your body. That's just inevitable. It's, assuming we're not eating like a moron, like, you know, <laughs> we're, we're, we're probably going to do some good things. So I think when I start coaching people and, and these other things I'm re- relaying to them, they kind of appreciate that, that I'm not, I'm not drilling them. I'm not making, I'm not being a hardo about anything. Like, don't get me wrong. I want to, I want to make sure my clients are getting stronger. And I like it when they want it when when they train with intent. There's got to be an intent and purpose there, but um, you know, 
I, I, I don't like this. They, I've never, I've never pushed my clients, any of my clients to the point where they feel like they, they can't walk out the door when they, when they finish the session. And I think they appreciate that. No. And, and there's a, there's a lot there of the three by 52 is, is so simple. Right. And people are almost going to be like, really, that's it. Yeah. Like when you tell people to like, you know, sleep eight hours, get one gram per pound of, or per pound of lean body mass for protein. And then, you know, drink, drink your body weight in ounces and water. And they're like, really, but that's it. And you're like, well, no, if you do that, <laughs> you know, consecutively. Yeah. Um, so it is, it's, it's, it's so powerful of a, of a mantra. I'm also curious, Tony, how, how do you divvy up your commitments? Cause it's, you know, you have a space, you have clients, you have other trainers. How do you go about like, what is your day? And then your week look like on an average basis, are you 20 hours coaching and then 10 hours programming and then five hours um, watching Lord of the Rings every day. What oh, is man. your, yeah, I wish, uh, that's, <laughs> you know, I'm not, you know, unfortunately I don't have a sexy answer here. Like I'm not a meticulous like planner. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm not someone that does a five-year plan or a three-year plan or really like a two week plan. <laughs> like I, um, but I will say like, I need more space. Like I've, I've outgrown my current coaching space and I I've been mm-hmm. in this process for the past three years since the start of COVID of, attempting to find a larger footprint here in Boston and mm-hmm. Brookline that I can, that I can expand into because, you know, the other coaches that's, that are subleasing for me right now, they want more hours, but mm-hmm. you know, my space is so small or is small enough where there can really only be one coach in there at a time. And unfortunately I would love to get, to, well, I, I can't like everyone can't have 40 hours a week of coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to get to a space where I, I can allow that where, okay, I'll have a crew of six to eight coaches. My wife's going to have her private practice in there. She's a psychologist. So there'll be a lot of mindset stuff. Let's bring in some, some physical therapy. You know, we're going to call it core collective. And we have this collective of, of wellness that we're just going to kind of like self-pollinate each other's clients. Like, okay, I got a client's banged up. You're going to go see the physical therapist, vice versa. Maybe you got to mm-hmm. you know, talk about your feelings. Let's go see my wife. Um, so, but currently that that's the goal. Currently, uh, I think I alluded that I, I'm coaching roughly 20, 25 hours a week. So Love my it. my coaching days per week are pretty consistent. Like I, 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 I coach Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and I typically start around 4 p.m. Uh, and I go oh, wow. to about 8 p.m. Um, and people look at that like, oh, my God, you don't start your work day till four. But you already <laughs> said you already said the magic word. And they're like, no, I'm, I'm writing programs during the day. Like mm-hmm. I'm catching up on admin stuff. Um, you know, I got some projects that are coming out uh, early 2023 that I'm working on filming videos for and writing descriptions on. Mm. And, um, no, I want to, I've been really, really bad with my, my, my writing prowess the past several years. I want to get back on, on track with that and doing more writing again. Um, but today, Thursday and Friday are my non-coaching days. Mm -hmm. Today, Thursday is, is basically my Saturday. Like I really try to keep Thursday pretty wide open and not do too much work because I, I, I do want a day where I, hey, I'm just going to go in and get a good workout in, have a nice lunch, watch some Survivor and just chill. Ugh, for the, just really? Chill, just chill for today. I love it. And <laughs> Fridays, Fridays are the days that I, that I actually update my um, distance coaching clients programs. So that, that, and that could take me anywhere from an hour to three hours. It just depends on who needs an absolute like brand spanking new program or do they just need an Mm -hmm. update. 
And then Saturday is my longest day of coaching. I start at eight in the morning and I typically go to maybe one, two, 3 PM. It just depends Ooh. if I have an assessment or, or whatnot. Um, and I structure most of my coaching hours to have two people coming in at the top of the hour and one coming in at the bottom of the hour. And, and sometimes it goes two and two. It just depends on mm. people's schedules. And, and that's really my week. It's pretty consistent in terms of the number of, of, of the days that I go in and the hours that I'm going in because it, at my studio, we all share um, uh, uh, specific calendars that we block off the times. And all the coaches pretty much have their set days and times that they're coaching and that they have the space. And there's really no, um, what am I, what's where I'm looking for? Carryover there are, are like mm-hmm. intermingling, intermingling. There might be like a 10 minute window where I'm arriving and the coach is ending, but that rarely ever happens. And right. then, um, you know, then there's, I, which, which is nice. Cause then, you know, being my own boss, I can, I can allocate when I want to travel for, to do workshops and, uh, you know, then my client, my clients are used to it. So they know like if I, you know, once, once a certain type time of year begins, like February, March, April, I, I'm, 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 it gets to the point where I'm often away at least one weekend a month mm. where, where I'm traveling to go present somewhere and they get it. And they're, and they're, and I, I think I, it, part of me feels like my, some of my clients kind of like that. Cause they, my coach is kind of a big deal. And like, he, he's like, <laughs> he, you know, and I don't say that to be like a pompous ass. I just think there's a, there's a bit of a, you know, cool factor there. Like, Oh, like, you know, Tony's, Tony's presenting over in London, blah, blah, blah. Like, that's cool. Like my coach, Mm -hmm. my coach knows what he's talking about. Like that, that's, that's, that's all I'm alluding to. I'm not saying like, I'm actually a big deal. I'm not, but, um, (laughs) but yeah, that's, that's more or less my, my, a kind of an average week for me. Not that I'm traveling to London, but the fact that I'm, I'm, (laughs) I'm coaching like those days of the week and those hours of the the day. No, there's so much, there that I, I hope for for trainers who may have interest in opening their own um, studio because I, I get those trainers a lot and or you know I think the industry sort of pigeonholes that you know that that should be the goal of trainer right you go from managing your own clients to managing trainers plus clients in your own gym and then to two or three gyms and it's not always the case nah um but I think what what also you know you alluded to too is you're playing to your strengths uh, as far as what you need in order to be at your best which is like you're coaching in the evening for me by the time the evening rolls around i'm ready for a nap at one or two right yeah. or right after the shift right and then i want to be doing admin in the afternoon and my workout in like the mid-afternoon but like but that is, it, this is this is almost to the point and I, I can't remember who told me this but uh you know the quote no not every artist needs needs to own a gallery um right and i think in this instance this artist meaning you needed to own your own gallery because it wasn't that you wanted to reinvent the wheel, but you just wanted to do things that were better for you on your schedule. Yeah. Um, That's a great way of putting it. Like I, I set, I set my own boundaries really. Like I, yeah. like when, when I, and I, I do this, I remember doing this. Like when I left Cressy sports performance, I, I took out a piece of paper. I was like, what do I want to make? How many clients do I need to make that number happen? And how many, how many coaching hours a week do I need to do to make that happen? And right. so I was like, okay, I do that. And I, I was like, oh, that seems pretty reasonable. And I hit, I, I, I basically hit it right away. And, and then, then it got to the point, it was like, okay, now that I have to factor in possible speaking engagements, uh, you know, 
like manifesting these uh, upcoming projects of like, you know, digital products and programming stuff. Um, what do I, what I need, I need free time to be able to do that stuff. Sure. So I, I can't, I can't be coaching every single day. And, and realistically, like I'm 46, not that I'm old, but I was like, do I really see myself coaching 30, 35, 40 hours a week when I'm 60? Like what, I, I can't, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. So I need, mm -hmm. I need to figure out other revenue streams to help me get to this certain level that I need so I can kind of step away from coaching a little bit. And then, and then, you know, and the subleasing factor helps me do that too. Like I, I get my overhead covered and then some on, in terms of my rent and covering utilities and whether or not I can make that, like that, that model happen in a bigger footprint and make it more lucrative. Cause I mean, the, the objective there too, is still to help other fitness professionals thrive. Like I, I my, my MO is not to nickel and dime them. You go, oh, you, I'm up in the rent each month. Like I want, mm -hmm. I want these other fitness professionals. Cause I wish I had it when I wanted, when I, when I, when the time came, I was like, I would have loved to have this access to a, a great facility with good equipment and just kind of run my own show and do my own rates and do my own schedule and not really be under the thumb of any specific, you know, commercial gym brand. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I want it, you know, moving into 2023, I really want to help other fitness professionals achieve that and attain that without, without this pressure of being like, okay, I got to go from being a commercial gym trainer to a gym owner. Cause not many people have the means to do that. Like right. one thing that was in my favor when I eventually did do it was I had career capital. Like I did it in year 15 of my career. <laughs> like, you know, I, I, so, and I, you know, I wrote, I've written thousands of articles and had products out. Like I was a name in the industry, which made that transition a little bit easier and less intimidating. And mm -hmm. frankly, not a lot of fitness professionals are going to have that. So for me to be able to provide a roof of where, okay, you, 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 you don't have to worry about overhead and maintaining equipment and paying the rent. You just got to build your brand under the, under this umbrella of my brand. Um, mm -hmm. Have fun, do it. Uh, and that, that's going to be the goal moving into 2023. You know, what's interesting is, um, do you remember a, a age of Ultron where um, Cap Captain America was, uh, I think he was holding, um, what was he? He was holding the specter and, and he didn't realize that he was getting angry and saying different things than he was, he was actually saying, um, you said just before this, you said that you're not much of a planner beyond two weeks, but, but in the same God time, it, you're right. <laughs> you're looking, you're looking, but, but this is a compliment to you, right? You're looking actively, right? Like not just like three months or six months down the line, you're planning, you're speaking engagements. You're also planning on, you know, your products and you're actually forward looking maybe more so than you are despite being present, right. With your current operations. Um, so, you know, when people ask, why is Tony dental course so good at what he does? I think there was a, a, a missing snippet right there of because he's so dedicated to his current clients, one, two to the craft and getting the industry better. Right. And then three still being forward looking on how those contributions can um, last, not just for, you know, like we talked about uh, kind of before we jumped on the call for an information product or, or one-off training program, but something that the industry can benefit from a, a, a speech that you've given, I'm sure that has changed lives. People that are listening to this right now, um, it might change their mind of like, yeah, I'm an introvert, but I couldn't ever do it. But, but you're, you're living proof that you can do that. 
Kevin, I need to hire you as my as my <laughs> my pump up guy every every day, basically. Like I need I need this to be like my alarm clock when it wakes me up. Be like, you know what, Tony? <laughs> well, well you so know, funny. it goes to one of those things too. I think we're I think into some I mean, this is a little bit off topic, but I think to some degree, we're all our own worst critic. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, you're right. Cause I, 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 45 minutes ago or 40 minutes ago, I was like, yeah, I don't plan. I don't, I don't, I really don't look two weeks in advance, but here, the, you're right. There I was talking about, oh, you know, when I'm 60, I was kind of thinking about this. And um, yeah, you, 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 you basically one up me there, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you were holding the specter and I called you out on you, you know. <laughs> Um, but, uh, but yeah, and, and I like the, the concept of career capital, um, you know, because there's, again, that theme that we talked on earlier about how you worked for eight years, yeah. which again, you and know, that's, that's something that people, especially younger fitness professionals need to understand is that I, I spent eight years writing my ass off, <laughs> you know, to right. the point where I was writing like four blog posts a week. Then I was writing for T nation and men's health and body. I was doing a lot of writing. And which made me a better writer. And I had, I, I feel like I, I'm a hard person to plagiarize, <laughs> you know, cause yeah. I, I'm putting in specific like cult, cultural references and pictures of my cat and mentioning my cat, mentioning my kid. But, you know, usually when people read one of my articles, I, I have a distinct writing style that not many people mm-hmm. have. And sure. that I only got that because of writing so often. And that's and that was part of my career capital. Is I I I, I mean I don't know how many blog posts collectively. I think I'm I, I can look at my data. I think I have over two thousand blog posts, and <laughs> and then that that's not counting any articles I've written for actual like websites or the, mm. the, like T Nation. Um, I don't know where I was going with this, but just saying that there's, yeah, that the career capital it takes years. It is this is. You know what's the joke? Like I, I was an overnight success in ten years. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. That's it is true. Like you know, we were joking about this prior to recording with social media and how you know we we do live in this era where people are considered experts even though they don't coach anybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, and I, I always I always tell young aspiring fitness professionals like I I feel like social media is it has a, there's a danger of it being very fleeting. It could go away any day, any week. There's no, there's, there's nothing saying that it, it that it, it has to exist three years from now. Um, right. a, any, any platform. I mean, I don't think they're going away anytime soon. But I, I mean, I'm being a little bit facetious here. But you know, I, I do think I'm, I'm a bit old school. I do think there's a lot of value in honing your writing skills. And social media is writing. I mean, all that's writing. Writing a tweet is writing. Writing an Instagram post is writing. Um, but I think there's a lot of, there's a lot to be said about honing that skill of writing and communication, um, and that being helping you build your brand and just relying on being performative on a specific platform. Um, Love that. so, and again, this is not to devalue that. Like I, there, there are people killing it on that front. Like I, mm-hmm. I, I, I admittedly feel I am not performative. Like my strong suit is not video. My strong suit is definitely more writing and being an introvert in my introvert, like, like bubble. But mm-hmm. um, not to say that I, 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 I'm never on video because certainly I am, I, I get recorded, you know, when I do workshops and stuff, but um, yeah, career capital is just, it, it's not going to be the number of followers you have on Instagram. Cause like <laughs> having hundreds of thousands of followers on Instagram doesn't really mean anything at all. Right. Be honestly. Right. Yeah. 
No, and and um, you know, uh, social media, uh, like we we talked about before too. You know, the hours that you're spending coaching limits the amount that you could be posting, right? And the whereas on the flip side of that, somebody who is whose sole goal is content. Yes, um, it amazes me how much so, time they spend. So, yeah. Well, and and they're good at it. Right? Sure. This isn't. I think the other the other caveat is like I'm I'm still at the point where I'm, I'm I'll learn from somebody who is posting. I'll watch what time. I'll put notifications up and look what time, right? Like I, I noticed that the newest trend is, uh, you know, someone once asked me, right? And this is under a tweet, and then they posted on Instagram. Um, so like that's the really popular one right now. Before it was three quick fixes of a video, right? And like so, you start to notice these trends, and you can learn from them. But on the flip side, uh, at the end of the day, the social media uh, side of things isn't necessarily, it can be a business, um, but a sustainable one, like it, with culture and community, like you've established um, at core, uh, is is really, it's not the same. It's yeah, just- I mean, because I mean, to one, I mean, and that speaks to like, if social media vanished tomorrow, I would still have a business. Mm-hmm. Um you know, how I get to that, I mean, that that's where the career capital comes in, though. Like how you establish that brand and business. I mean, certainly there are people who are very popular on Instagram. I'm I'm assuming are building their mailing lists and mm-hmm. et cetera. That and that that's that to me, having a having a mailing list is probably we could make an argument is more valuable than having hundreds of followers on any kind of platform. But Agreed. um but uh but certainly yeah, like if 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 Instagram disappeared tomorrow. And I, I mean, I have a decent amount of followers on Instagram. I'm not aggressive on Instagram. I'm not aggressive on Twitter, on Facebook, any of those. Mm-hmm. I, I, I lucked out on all those. Like, I feel like when I, when I was using those platforms more religiously in the like mid, like 20, 2010, 2011, 2012, it was at a time when the algorithm definitely worked in our favor. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there weren't many people putting out fitness content. So I, I could put my blog post up on Facebook and say, Hey, here's, here's today's my, here's today's post that I wrote. It would get right. a lot of traction automatically. Now, if I do mm-hmm. it, I'm lucky if like two people see it, you know, it's like <laughs> the algorithm Facebook's is like... so much different now than when it was a decade yeah. ago. So, yeah. cause you kind of have to pay to play, I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. But um, I know I'm getting way off topic, but, no, um, but it's valuable, right? Don't build your house on somebody else's lawn. Right. Um, <laughs> So uh, I wanted to talk more about programming because I, I, I feel like this is an area where I've, I've heard you speak before. I've seen some of your blog posts and read some of your blog posts and also done some of your workouts. But for somebody, oh. somebody who maybe looks at your social media or some of your, your blog posts, what, what do you think surprises them the most? Or what is the most common question you get when somebody says, but Tony, why do you? Uh, that's a good question. Like I... I'm, I'm probably about as bland of a program as there is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, my, anyone who's, who looks at my Instagram feed, I'm not someone who's putting up like very innovative exercises. I mean, mm-hmm. I'll come across some like, Oh man, that's a good idea. I'm going to, I'm going to steal that and maybe demonstrate it myself. But I, you know, when I write a program for people, it's very, it's based off again, their injury history, their goals, their ability level. But like I said, everyone, every one of my clients is doing some form of deadlifting, squatting, bench pressing, push-ups. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're movement patterns. And then, you know, I I really feel I think coaches get in their own way as far as programming 
uh, road bumps. Like I, the example I use is like if I'm if I'm running a program for a client for months on end, maybe years on end, I get in my own head. I'm like, oh my god, what am I going to do with this person now? Like, what do I have to do to like make it more entertaining or what, what new stuff can I put in there? When really, in fact, like they just appreciate the bland, boring stuff anyway. And mm-hmm. that's what gets them results. So I think what surprises most people about me, and this kind of goes back to when I was at Cressy Sports Performance, people would always walk in to observe shadow and they immediately walk over to the, to the, the wall where all the programs were kept. And they would kind of, they kind of flip through them to see like what kind of secrets they would get from us. And they would look at the programs and be like, really? Paloff presses? Really? <laughs> like standing yeah. cable rows? Like I program those. I was like, yeah. It's, you know, th- the magic isn't in the program itself, but it's how it's coached. That's, that's, yeah. where, that's where the magic is. So, you know, I don't feel like I write any profound programming. I mean, I feel like I'm good at it. Like I, if someone's coming in with a specific knee injury or their shoulder hurts or they have back pain, like I, I know how to coach and program around those things. But it's really in how you're coaching up the movements themselves. You know, I, I've talked about this idea of the trainable menu, which is a, a term mm-hmm. that I, I got from Chris Chase back in the day, listening to him on Mike Robertson's podcast. Mm-hmm. And that's that every time I, I talk to other, other coaches, I'm bringing up that concept of the trainable menu, really the focus on what your clients can do and not what they can't, because they can do something regardless mm-hmm. of what type of energy, uh, injury they have. I mean, certainly there are outliers there. Like if someone, breaks their back they're probably not going to be training anytime soon but if they hurt their ankle or you know they're 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 one of their shoulders is 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 pissed off like they have a lower body they can train like we can do this we can do that when i when i injured my achilles like i couldn't walk on my right leg but i i trained the shit out of my left i was doing so many half field split squats on my left leg i feel like my that leg that leg probably got twice as big as my other one but i didn't <laughs> care because i knew i knew there will be some like for lack of a better term, neural carryover to my injured side. So when I did start sure. doing rehab, it would probably expedite that process anyway, because I was still training and doing something and keeping my body active. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I, when, when really the simple of my program, the simple thing of my programming is this idea of the trainable menu, which is like, okay, there's this profound idea of like, okay, I have a client here. This is their goals. This is the injury that we're working with. What can they do? Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to write a program off that based on that. It's really as simple right. as that. <laughs> well, it's so funny how <laughs> how the how the fitness industry and and I love the idea of a trainable menu, but I and I like comparing comparing to the restaurant industry, but um, you know, so like let's say you know you sit down at a at a, a great restaurant in a great steakhouse, um, and they only serve you know porterhouse and fillet and strip, and then you're like, but you don't have fish, like like nobody says that, but like that's how sometimes the fitness industry communicates is they're like well, you can't deadlift, you can't straight bar deadlift. Like <laughs> the fitness industry sometimes uh, can be um, almost like, like, yeah, the trainable menu, just, I, I like the term. I like, I like the way that you can communicate it. Um, and I think it, it does fly in the face a little bit of where so many people are like, this is a bad exercise. And you're like, and, well, and, to, mm-hmm. and, and to, to, to maybe elaborate a little bit further, because I want to give your listeners a, a little bit more insight on programming other than just saying trainable. Yeah, just, just write a program of what they can do. Um, I would say <laughs> lately, probably the past year or two, I really, especially my, with my general population clients, which again is the bulk of my clients anyway. Now, these are people that aren't really training for anything specific. They're not training for a competitive season. They're not training to compete in a 
powerlifting competition or a bodybuilding show, you know, they're, they just want to feel good, look good, you know, not, not be as achy, maybe get a little bit stronger gen pop clients. Mm -hmm. So I've really leaned into this idea of auto-regulation, not, not too sciencey about it, but the, the simplest way for me to explain it is like, okay, today is deadlift day. We know the main lift of today is going to be their deadlift. And this person trap bar deadlifts. So we're going to work up to, uh, I like to say estimated daily max. So EDM, you know, I'm, I'm, an, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a dance music guy. So I'll just, I'll just use EDM. <laughs> so we're going to say, okay, we're going to work up today to a five EDM on your trap bar deadlift. Now, that does not mean a true one rep or five rep max. It just means for that day, what is a challenging set of five? And we're going to work up to that number. Now, whatever that number ends up being, this could be, they could feel like a rock star that day and they're going to push it and they're going to, they, maybe they will PR, but it might, it, it, they're probably not. <laughs> it's just going to, but it will be a challenging lift or they're, they're going to be straining when they get to that, that, that top set of five. Now, whatever mm -hmm. that number ends up being, let's say in this example is 225. I'll say, okay, there's now we can we can divide this up two ways. We can say, okay, let's take 90% of that number. And now we're gonna do three sets of five with that. Cause then I know that okay, we're gonna reduce it 10%. They're probably gonna the, the subsequent sets are gonna be crisp, clean, their technique's gonna be on point, they're gonna be fast reps, they're not gonna kill themselves, and we just move on. Or mm -hmm. I'll just say, all right, now we're just going to do three sets of three of that same weight, you know, same weight, but then just, just, um, less reps, you know, that, that, that those are kind of two different avenues I can go down and that sure. system can last forever. Really? I mean, and then from there, it's like, okay, we did your, your top set of five on trap our deadlifts. Then we took 90% of that into the three sets of five from there. It's just, okay. The accessory movement for their deadlift. So we're going to hammer more upper back stuff. We're going to hammer hamstrings again. Now we're going to throw in some single leg work, throw in some core work. Okay. Your session's done. And right. you know that it, it really is as simple as that. And with gen pop clients, I still, yes, I write programming for them, but I am not really periodizing my, my gen pop clients programs for three months ahead of time because life gets in the way. There's no way that I can predict when their kids are going to get sick, when they have to travel for work, you know, when they have to, when they go on vacation, there's no mm -hmm. way for me to predict that. So for me to write programming that far in advance doesn't make a lot of sense. I just go month by month. And I'm always, always substituting stuff, changing stuff. You know, I think, I think it's important for them to feel like they're paying for a service. And part of that service is me writing a program for them. But from mm -hmm. there, I'm day up, they might show up. They had a horrible night's sleep. Their kid was sick. They feel awful. And I say, okay, we're just going to punt today's program. This is what we're going to do instead. <laughs> And we're just going to work with EDM, whatever that is that day, whether it's a three EDM or a five EDM. And then we're just going to hammer home stuff after that. Um, they appreciate that because they know I, I have their best interests in mind. So I don't know if that elaborates a little bit more on my programming strategy, but, you know, generally speaking with when it comes to my gen pop clients, that that's how I structure their programs is off this idea of like, let's just hit a top set of something that day. And then, you know, subsequently the following exercises just complement that main lift anyway. Mm -hmm. No, I, first of all, um, that there was a lot of gold in what you just said, though, that that wasn't a diatribe. That was an absolute lecture <laughs> on, on taking what your client gives you. Right. And 
understanding general population and how to how to train general population because number one you don't know the, and they don't know where they're going to be in three months if they travel for business if yeah. their kid is right like they just don't know they have they, they have so many things going on and usually this isn't their number one thing no um but but in in your uh and what i liked about what you said was because i struggle with like giving somebody because we have a lot of really really analytical clients who are like how many reps and i'm like I, I, how about six to eight or eight to 10? Like I'd rather a rep range because yeah. then they, they know they feel safer with a rep range than a number that they can, they, they're like, I've had people stop. And I'm like, what are you doing? I said, you know, like six to eight. And they're like, well, I only did three. I'm like, why? They're like, I can't do more. I'm like, stop. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they don't, they don't get like that. Like, no, 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 that's okay. You're done. Like they think, they think that, you know, almost like um, what's it called when you do the, uh, like almost like a density, you know, high, 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 high weight density set where you yep. do like a rest pause. And I'm like, no, 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 you're doing something very advanced. We're, we're, we're just, no, we're, we're good. That's good. <laughs> let's stop. Um, but, but I really like that, that, that approach of, you know, let's work up to, you know, how you feel and then we'll back off from that. Yeah. Um, and I think my client and, and, and really like I, it's sub maximal look or weight training. So they're not using maximal weight, but mm -hmm. I'm a huge fan of using submaximal loads. And when I say submaximal, most people's training, uh, they're going to be hovering between 65 to 85% of their one rep max anyway. That's going to be the bulk of their volume. If you look at any of the popular strength programs of the past decade or two, 531, uh, cube method, et cetera. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of that work, like the bona fide, like strength, like I'm, I'm strength training programs, like the bulk of their, of their volume is it hovers in that 65, 85% one rep max load. So these are not super aggressive loads, like, mm -hmm. like doing like singles all the time. I mean, they're, they're sprinkled in there occasionally, but with my clients, I tell them, like, listen, you're going to get stronger. If I make your three rep max, your five rep max, your one rep max is probably going to go up anyway. Without, mm -hmm. without having me to constantly trying to test that one rep max because you're, you're not going to get stronger that way. We've all heard right. the term like stop testing strength. You got to build strength. That's, <laughs> that's what I'm trying to instill in my clients because a lot of them come in always, oh, they've, they've been programmed whether they're doing stuff on their own or maybe they worked with a previous coach. They're always testing their deadlift max or their bench max and it never really increases that much because mm -hmm. that's all they're doing is testing. They're not building. And, and, and they're quite surprised after two, three, four months of programming where they're not even coming close to training at maximal lows. It's all like pretty easy stuff, quote unquote. And then that their one rep max goes up anyway, because they've, they've accumulated so much volume with loads that allow them to use pristine technique. They're moving the weight fast. They're producing a lot of power that they're going to get stronger, assuming they're staying consistent, of course. So I'm a big fan, especially in my gen pop clients and even with my athletes using some maximal loads. Cause I, you know, we've, we, we, it's human nature to think that we have to kill ourselves during our workouts. And I, I would adamantly argue against that. It's just, it, it, it's, it, I, again, time and time again, I've, I've had somebody take a, a load they can do for three reps. Eventually they're going to do it for five, if not more. And I guarantee you not even touching close to some max or, or maximal loads that that their one rep max is going to go up anyway. It happens time and time again. And assuming they're getting proper rest and they're eating correctly, et cetera. But um, yeah, it's, it's people, 
they're quite dumbfounded by it because they whether again whether it was a previous trainer or you know i i've had some clients come in I, i've done german volume training and i've done this and that i'm like you that's absurd <laughs> like <laughs> yeah you don't need to be doing you don't need to be training that hard like i don't get me wrong i love it when people come in and they want to work hard and they want to like be aggressive but is that you don't have to be as, as aggressive as you think tony i feel like you are the uh, offspring of Boyd Epley, Zatsky Orski, and Tudor Bompa. Like, like if you're, you're not nearly as smart as speak, any of those guys. <laughs> oh, stop. You, you, you speak of, you break it down into a way that's uh, easily digestible. And, and, and cause my, one of my next questions was actually about, you know, when do you, what are your thoughts on Geronda, you know, some of the eight by eight and German volume training and would you employ it? But like you, you literally can, you can, you can really get down into the weeds on the details, but you can also open up and speak to the general population. Uh, and, and, and man, it's, it's just a, it's a treat to, to, to hear that um, level of comprehension and that level of communication that you have to, the, to somebody that's like, hey, can you help make it strong? And you're like, yes. Absolutely. <laughs> like, I can absolutely not like, do that. <laughs> are you sure you don't want to get tone and do conjugate periodization? You know, like you're just, you know, uh, meet them where they are. Anyways, speaking of um, uh, Geronda, German volume training, conjugate method, density training, what, at, at what point do you ever um, say, oh, this would be a good time for, I'm just using some of those examples, but what, what, at what point do you sprinkle in um, with your programs something special like an eight by eight or a 10 by 10 or a, or maybe you don't, I mean, what, yeah, what, I can't, you know, I can't remember got? the last time. I mean, honestly, I can't remember the last time I did any like 10 by 10. I, I guess when jokingly, when I was at Krusty sports performance, we would do it only in the sense, like when we had athletes misplace their programs <laughs> and we would be like, okay, what we're doing today, we're going to do 10 by five of chin ups paired with front squats. And, you know, and they will learn very quickly, like not to um, lose their programs. <laughs> um, but with Gen Pop clients, I just don't feel that they, they need to work that hard. Cause I mean, they're just, they're not going to recover from that. They're, they're right. not many people have the, um, the recovery wherewithal to do that for weeks upon weeks. Uh, sure. they might, I, you know, sure. There might be a scenario where it's like, you know what today there's, cause I call it whiteboard workouts where sometimes clients come in and maybe I forgot to update their program or maybe it's because they, they just don't, they just feel like garbage that day, but I'll whiteboard their, their program. I mean, they walk in, I have this big whiteboard in my studio and it's like, okay, here, here's what we're going to do today. Um, that's probably a scenario where I'm going to be like, okay, we're going to do, we're going to do eight by eight, but we're going to do eight by eight with trap our deadlifts paired with, I don't know, yoga pushups. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and, and that those, those are probably be the scenarios where I would do something like that. Like I, I can't remember the last time I actually like programmed any of those protocols into like an actual block of training. Um, mm -hmm. But, but I have played with certainly five, three, one, um, I actually love concurrent slash conjugate types of training. Mm -hmm. I, I love training multiple um, strength qualities or, or fitness qualities at the same time. I think that's a smart way of training. Um, but certainly linear periodization for most people, most of the time is, is probably what's going to work best. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then for variety or just change of pace, like, yeah, let's throw in some like, 
max effort deadlifts with speed, speed this and like do more concrete or conjugate type of training. Like if I have really, I'll, I'll start using methods like that when I have individuals that reach a shirt, a certain threshold of strength. And when I, when I say by our standard of strength, I should say, I, I usually tell a lot of my, my, my guys, like, listen, when you get to the point where you're deadlifting body weight or two times body weight, um, for multiple reps, then we can probably start playing with these more fancier set rep schemes and, and more conjugate or concurrent styles of training until then let's not really worry about it. <laughs> and, um, let's just, let's just focus on trying to do a little bit more work uh, each week and, and understand too, that progress is not linear and that there's mm-hmm. always going to be ebbs and flows of peaks and valleys. Like you're, you're just not going to be hitting PRs week upon week upon week upon week. You know, right. you're going to have, you're going to have some months of training where you don't, you don't even sniff like your, your like weights that you were doing two, two months ago. Uh, and that's fine. Like I, I have to constantly remind them like, it's fine. Like you're still, as long as the intent, you're moving the bar fast and you have the intent moving it fast, you're going to produce producing power like you're, you're still going to be doing good stuff. And then, you know, lo and behold, a month after that, they're, they're, they're surpassing their previous, you know, PRs without having, again, without having to test them all the time. So, um, so this is all this to say, like, yes, I'm a, I'm a fan of conjugate concurrent, et cetera. Um, but for gen pop clients, I don't really have to use it that often until they get to a certain standard of strength. Then I'll, then I'll start playing around with those things. Love it. Love it. Um, I'm curious, uh, you mentioned earlier how, you know, you have some people that have been told they, they need to always barbell deadlift, et cetera. Um, and, you know, I, I was listening to Boyle yesterday, kind of talk about how he gets to, you know, once you're over the age of 40 or I can't remember the age, but he's like, you need, you know, no more barbell. <laughs> and I was like, Really? Like, is that, is that, uh, or I don't know, you know, I, I know I didn't hear, I mean, I know he's, uh, he's, he's used that tone for a number of years and you know what, far be it for me to tell him he's wrong. Like he obviously gets results for his mm-hmm. clients and his athletes. That's why I, I don't, I don't bemoan any other strength coach or fitness professional that says this, Hey, we don't barbell back squat our, our people, or we don't use a lot of barbells or, you know, if you're still getting results for your clients, then great. That's it's fine. Like, <laughs> like, right. uh, you know, me as someone who's over 40, like I, me personally, I'm the strongest I've ever been. Like I, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm deadlifting 600 for a double. Like I'm, I'm, this is the, the most I've ever squatted in my life. My bench has always been abysmal. So we won't talk about that, but <laughs> you know, but I understand that not everyone is going to be doing a bunch of barbell works after a certain amount of time. But again, it's just, it all comes down to that, that trainable menu, but you know, it's not my cup of tea to say like never, because anytime someone says never everyone or always, like I kind of mm-hmm. like my red flag goes up. Um, but, you know, Boyle's one of the most respectable strength coaches in the history of this industry. So like, sure. um, I well, get where he's coming from. Um, yeah. But me personally, like my, me and my clients still all use barbells. Um, but I, I, I also don't have... Um, the volume of people coming into my facility that he does. Right. So, you know, there, there's that component too. So it all, it's all context. And, and I think the, the, the key point that I heard from him and I would kind of reverse engineer was the, the, the athlete who's self-driven, who steps into his facility and is like, how much weight again? Can I do more? Can I do more? Can I do an extra set? It probably needs to have a little bit more 
um, reins put on them sure. than the general population who, uh, you know, like for instance, we have people who have hurt their back before, but I say, uh, and, and a barbell lift and I say, what weight, right? Or what, what, what rep did you feel it, yep. right? Because they lifted past a point of which they should have listened, you know, and, and we've talked about it. But so I think, I think like you said, um, there's, there's a, an asterisk next to it. But I, I was also curious because I, I know you're a landmine fan. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was also curious, you know, from a, a landmine perspective, I love the landmine. My friend Clifton Harsky loves the landmine. Um, how, how do you implement the landmine? What's your favorite implementation? I like, honestly, with, with a lot of my gen pop clients, I, I like to use it with explosive training. Like I love doing, mm-hmm. there's one I like where I, I put the Viking attachment on the end. Um, mm. I don't know if you know what attachment I'm talking about. It's kind of like this neutral grip pressing yep. attachment um, and doing like uh, um, uh, split split stance snatches with it. Um, Ooh, love that. And uh, I, I mean, I, I use the landmine a lot for my accessory work, um, whether it's like fake overhead pressing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've, I've done hack squats with it. I've done an, yep. a myriad of, of rows with it. Um, but I, but of late, I really, I really dig using it within an explosive element. Cause I mean, I am not an Olympic, um, uh, Olympic technique or Olympic lifting protege at all. Like I've never, mm-hmm. I've never done that, that type of training. I don't coach it at all. Like I know my limits as a coach. And if I have clients that are really interested in Olympic lifting, I, I refer them to people in, in, in around Boston that, that, that specialize in it. Mm-hmm. But I can, I can do explosive power type training with my clients using the landmine, using the kettlebell, using the med ball, um, you know, so, which is great. Cause I mean, it, it, I, I think my clients dig that cause they feel like they're being a little bit badass when they're doing stuff like that. And they're, you sure. know, I, I tell them, you know, I want you to make the plates rattle and like, you know, it's great, you know, and, <laughs> and um, the landmine, the landmine tends to be a pretty safe, safer way to do that. Cause like, you know, the barbell is in a, a kind of sort of fixed bar path. Um, yep. You know, it's not going to go, you know, flying everywhere. <laughs> so it tends to be a little bit of a, a safer, more manageable way of implementing that type of training with my gen pop clients. Um, sure. And yeah, very, very versatile piece of equipment. I, there's, I use it for accessory movements all the time. Yep. No, I love that. I love that. Um, well, Tony, I feel like we could... We, oh, we can keep going. Like getting, I know, <laughs> and I'm like, oh man, I gotta, I gotta respect your time. I gotta respect. Hey, some, I gotta push my kid up today. at sports camp. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but before we go, I just have some real fast switch questions. Um, these are one word answers, and uh, just on your some things that I know you're uh, rather um, adamant about. So, um, so I want to run through these first, and then we'll just we'll sign off. Um, but uh, your favorite Marvel movie? Winter Soldier. Ah, good one. Uh, would you rather go to the beach or mountains or a lake? Lake. Pancakes, waffles, French toast. French toast. I think you said your spirit animal already, but spirit animal? <laughs> Gummy bears. Gummy yeah. bears. That's a first. <laughs> Never heard that um, one before, that. <laughs> yeah, that's a first. Uh, Duncan, Starbucks, or Timmy Hortons? Oh, shoot. Uh, I have to go Duncan because I'm in Boston. Love it. Um, your favorite pretzel crisp? I I love honey wheat pretzels, uh, like ah. the sticks, like rolled yep. gold honey wheat pretzels. They were in, they were in yep. my stocking Christmas day. I ate the whole bag like before noon. <laughs> <laughs> love it, love it. Um, your favorite TV show besides Survivor? 
Favorite TV show uh, ever or just currently? Nah, let's go. Let's go ever. Ever. Oh man, I would have to go. Man, I would probably go Lost. Okay. Or yeah, I would even mind even put Six Feet Under in there. Wow, love it, love it. Um, and then uh, Tony, before we go, um, I want to kind of let folks know where they can find you, what you're working on kind of to get them, you know, looking ahead on and paying attention to you. Um, what's the best place to, to find you? Well, they're going to find me in St. Louis in a couple months is what they're going to do. <laughs> well done. Well done. Good product placement. Love uh, it. But like my home base for me is my website. So it's, it's my name, TonyGenicore.com. So that's my blog. That's my social media. Um, you know, so anyone who wants to read any of my things, they can go there. Um, I have a few things coming out early next year, uh, my buddy, Luke Worthington and I, Luke's a, um, a very renowned strength coach, personal trainer over in London. We do a, a workshop called the Dig or the strategic strength workshop, but we, we recorded it in Los Angeles and we're going to be releasing it as a digital product some point in uh, January. Uh, and that goes to, like in the deep dive into assessment and regressing, progressing exercises and really talking about the trainable menu and, what, and it's a two-day course, so we're, I think it, I think it ended up being about eleven hours worth of content that we ended Whoa. up recording. Um, That's awesome. And then my and then my wife and I are are developing an app with this company Suter, which means sweat in Spanish, um, where I'm going to be taking the the strength uh, side of things. She's going to be taking the mindset side of things, and the the program that I'm developing for that app initially is going to be called Beginner to Badass. And essentially what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm going to write a, a strength program for a stark beginner and we're, I'm going to make he or she a badass. And, you know, and, and along that, that journey, my wife is going to be giving uh, 60, 90 second uh, um, mindset minutes where she's mm -hmm. going to be talking about motivation and boundaries and, you know, negative self-talk and, you know, all these cognitive things that kind of get in the way of people being consistent with their training, uh, which mm -hmm. I think will be a powerful component to a strength-based program. So sure. um, that that should be coming out at some point in the spring. Like we're, we're still recording all the videos right now, but then, you know, that they're, they're helping us uh, getting the app developed on their, on their platform. And we should be releasing that at some point in the spring. So we're excited for that. I'm excited for that. That sounds awesome. Well, congrats to the, on both of those. Those are those are very big undertakings in addition to the current business load that you have. So, oh boy, yeah, um, yeah. I'll be, I'll be. So congrats. So yeah, though, even though I'm not coaching forty hours a week, the other the other stuff that I'm I'm not that I'm not coaching. That's that's what I'm doing. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And and Tony, the podcast is called Coachable. And one of the questions I like to leave and ask everybody, and it's a softball toss question, but and I think I know most of the answers here. But um, how would you say? You are coachable. I think I'm, I'm, I can see the middle of anything. Like I, you know, you, you, you kind of alluded to like Twitter debates, like the strength and conditioning mm -hmm. Twitter, you know, barbell, you, what, you know, never barbell lift or why not barbell lift. I always see the middle and I, I, I feel like that's what makes me pretty coachable is that I, I, I'm by no stretch think that I know it all. Um, mm -hmm. I've probably forgotten more than I remember, <laughs> and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, so I, I'm, I, I feel there, I, I, I tend to be like, like bringing the pendulum back to the middle type of guy, um, and, and would never completely 
uh, dismiss somebody's way of doing things or philosophical approaches or exercises they like. Cause I, I try to see like, okay, there's, there's a time and place for pretty much anything. I can see where this would have a place for me. Um, you know, might not be in my cup of tea 99% of the time, but maybe there's a 1% chance that I would use it. Uh, sure. So that, that's, I feel like what makes me pretty coachable is I, I, I don't, I don't sequester myself into a corner where it's my <laughs> way or the highway. Like I know it all. Um, I really, I really lose a lot of respect for coaches. Um, and there aren't many of them in the, in this industry, but the, those that are really, uh, feel that their that their way is the only way of doing things um and uh i just don't i just that just puts a bad flavor in my mouth when i when i come across that i love that love that answer and and thanks so much for the you know humility that you display and continue to display i think that's a there's a lesson for that for for all the coaches out there who may not have the experience you have but um uh, may not also have the same level of humility um so, uh, well, Tony, this has been awesome. Um, you got to go pick up the lo- the little guy from sport camp. Um, probably get some conjugate or, uh, oh, we're going to get some roughhousing in for sure. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, thanks so much, Tony. And, uh, thanks for being on coachable. My pleasure. All right.